Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to today's Facets Friday episode, sponsored by Facets. Today, we'll be speaking with Suzanne Emery. Suzanne Emery has a master's in leadership of nursing, and she is a family nurse practitioner. She is a certified facilitator of the Facets Neurobehavioral Model, and she is a Facets Program Director. Suzanne lived in Costa Rica for over 20 years, serving families and children at risk. She has worked as a resident nurse at a children's home and then as a supervisor of health for a large child care organization for over 15 years. Suzanne is the founder and lead facilitator for Created to be Free, Hope for Families Affected by Alcohol, a project started in 2013. She leads workshops, provides consulting services, and facilitates family support groups, all in the area of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. She is a single mom of two wonderful young men, the younger of whom has an FASD. She lives in the Portland area. I say this all the time, but I love FACETS Friday episodes. I get to be a student along with our fellow listeners about the facets model and just taking different topics uh, that are related to the facets model and that are related to FASD and brain-based diagnosis. So I am thrilled today to be speaking with Suzanne Emery of facets. And our topic today is really needed receiving a diagnosis later in life and the importance of receiving that diagnosis of FASD or other brain-based diagnosis. So lengthy introduction, Suzanne Emery, welcome to Facets Friday and welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you. Thank you. So let's talk as much or as little as you would like about your family's journey, whatever you're comfortable with. And what led you into wanting to become an educator in FASD and brain-based diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually lived most of my adult life in San Jose, Costa Rica, serving a large ch- child care organization there. I'm a family nurse practitioner, and so I was the head of the health department. And um, along the way, um, I'm a single person, so I also thought that, you know, I would just never have children, but um, along the journey, I realized that I really um, would like to be a mom, and I knew there were lots of children that wouldn't have any parents, um, and it was better that they had a mom than no parents, and so anyway, that's a long story, but I ended up adopting um, two boys in Costa Rica, And being a family nurse practitioner and working for many, many years with children at risk and that had a lot of different situations of trauma and different behaviors and um, 
I thought I was pretty well equipped to um, take on two boys who I knew had come from a difficult past. They were five and six when I adopted them. And the older one I adopted first and things went pretty much the way I thought. It wasn't easy, but he was very capable of talking and um, working through things. And um, then a year later, I adopted his brother. And I always say life has never been the same again, because all these wonderful things that I knew um, in parenting children at risk and who had lived through trauma and all kinds of different situations, um, none of that worked with him. It actually made everything worse. And um, I began to see things in myself that were shocking and scary. I um, thought I was a pretty good person (laughs) until I became his parent. And I realized all the things I could say and do that I never even thought were possible. Um, And I realized I did not have, I I was missing something. And um, so that was another long journey that um, we figured out he is on the fetal alcohol spectrum. And in my research to try to figure out what I needed to know to to parent him, um, that led me to the University of Washington Medical Center, which is one of the most well-known places in the United States for the fetal alcohol diagnosis. And one of their recommendations is always to get in touch with Um, a person who's now retired, um, Diane Malvin, who is the actual creator of the neural behavioral model and the author. um, And she was the one who who created the organization Facets. And so I remember um, it was December of 2009 that my mom and I Um, I'm from Portland originally, and that's where Diane Melvin lived and or lives still. She was living in a little houseboat on Southie Island, and she invited my mom and I over for tea. And we sat down and she asked me, what was the most frustrating thing about parenting my son at that point when he was probably about seven, maybe? And she made this simple little brain drawing of what happens to a brain when a brain is prenatally exposed to alcohol. And that little conversation changed the course of my life with parenting and just, I mean, my own personal journey, um, because I started to see that his behaviors were not deliberate or he wasn't being intentionally disobedient and annoying and all these words that I could come up with. But um, I really needed to see his behaviors as brain-based and that he had an underlying condition or disability that needed to be accommodated for. Um, And so we were still living in Costa Rica, and I realized nobody in Costa Rica knew anything about this because when I tried to get help there, nobody had any clue. Um, And so that's really how my journey started. Uh, I, I ended up moving out of my supervisor of health position at, at the large child care organization and starting a whole new project called Created to be Free, Hope for Families Affected by Alcohol. Um, and using Facets Let Me Use all their material, we translated it all into Spanish. And, um, and then 
along the way, I became trained by FACETS, and now I'm a program director for FACETS as well. So like many other FACETS facilitators I've spoken with, you really just resonated and clicked with the neurobehavioral model. And what an amazing experience it must have been to have tea with Diane Malvin. Oh, I wish I could say that. So what exactly about being a facets facilitator is the most rewarding part for you in, in your journey uh, through facets? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing gift to be a part of um, facets and teaching this model. And I would say the most rewarding piece is both personal as well as what I see in other people's lives. Somehow the way this material um, gets processed and understood and used in people's lives becomes a really life transforming healing process, both for the person like me, the parent. Um, I always tell my son, because I understand and use this model, um, he's, he's my best teacher on earth because I'm continually having to go inward and think, you know, why is this so disturbing? Why am I reacting this way? And that puts me on a whole journey every day of um, really understanding myself better so that I can understand him better. And another beautiful thing that usually always happens in webinars or trainings or working one-on-one with parents is that people usually come to one of these educational experiences thinking of a person that they want to help, whether that's their child or somebody else. And almost always, the it, it becomes much bigger than that. It's not just that person anymore. I've had lots of parents themselves discover that they're on the fetal alcohol spectrum or another neurobehavioral um, spectrum, or that they start thinking of other people in their family, like, oh my gosh, I think my dad or my neighbor or, um, and so it's just, it's really like this um, catalyst for healing and transformation, which that's really what I love and get excited to be a part of. I love hearing that. that that's so great. I know for me, when I took the training uh, a few years ago, I think many people go into it thinking, okay, I, I want to, there are things I want to learn how to quote unquote change about someone, you know, that you love that has an FASD or another brain-based diagnosis. And really you're the one who's doing the changing. And that's what this training is all about. And that's why I love it. You know, I, I hear from so many listeners around the world who email us, message us and say, okay, well, what can I do to get my child to change this, you know, symptom or behavior? And and I always, first of all, I always refer them to the book. I always refer them to trying differently rather than harder and to facets to say, you're not changing your child. You can change your, you can support, accommodate and provide appropriate interventions and everything but the person you're changing is yourself. And that is huge because when we think about viewing FASD and other brain-based diagnoses through that lens of 
how can we help them? We're not changing them. How can we change? Then, like you said, it's a catalyst. You want to, you just want to see it happen everywhere, you know, to, to have that lenses. And I also like to say that, and I've said this before, facets really is this wonderful tool that grows with you as you grow in your journey of parenting or caregiving or teaching, you know, someone with an FASD it grows with you. You know, what I know now is, has grown since what I first learned a few years ago, and there will be even more of a growth. So thank you for, for sharing that. I love, I love to hear that. So today's topic is really an interesting one because we have had questions from listeners saying, well, why should we seek a diagnosis? You know, especially later in life. My, my child is a teenager. You know, I suspect my grown child has an FASD. Let's talk about that because there really is importance and there's a realization that you can still provide services, supports, hopes, and again, change that perspective on how you can help someone that has an FASD. So why is this such an important foundation in the neurobehavioral model of parenting, caregiving, and teaching? Yeah, to address this a little bit, I'm going to use... um a story that, um, is one of those transformational stories. And part, when I'm doing, um, trainings, I I often say it's never too late to understand where behaviors are coming from to perhaps, right. Get a diagnosis, especially if what we're going to do with that diagnosis is going to make a difference for that person, um, for the family. So um, when I started initially um, doing trainings, when I was still in in Costa Rica, there, one of my, one of my first like half day trainings was actually at a seminary in Costa Rica. And um, there was a woman in the back who kept, um, I mean, I, my eyes were on her because it was only a four hour session, but I could see that she was very moved and, um, crying a lot through the training. And afterwards she came up to me and said, Suzanne, she said, um, I, she was at at this point, which this is now several years ago, she was probably in her late fifties. And she, um, said, you know, I have been married for over 30 years and it's been a very difficult road and my husband and I are separated right now. And I've been in counseling and the counselor I was seeing told me I should come to one of your trainings. And, um, she said, I am beginning to realize that maybe my husband is on the fetal alcohol spectrum. She said, I know his, both his parents had, um, issues with alcohol. And anyway, that little, opening of understanding for her took their family on a whole journey. She later came back and did the, we used to do like three day trainings instead of these six week webinars we're doing right now. Um, And so she did a whole three day training um, and continued to learn and really understand this is what was going on with her husband 
uh, person that she was married to that she had always seen as irresponsible. He couldn't hold down a job. He didn't know how to manage money. It was difficult for him to, his, his two girls were now in their twenties and pretty estranged from him. Um, and within a year, this couple renewed their marriage vows and, um, and Maria, the, the wife, she ended up taking the, the training of facilitators that I did in Costa Rica. She became um, a trained facilitator in this model. And um, both of her girls ended up coming to the training and they, um, they are, their relationship with their father has been restored. One of them after just coming to the first day of the training um, hadn't seen her dad for a while. And she went actually to their house and said, Daddy, I am so sorry. She said, I have not understood why you haven't done the things that I thought you should be doing as a dad. And she said, I, I just want to ask your forgiveness. And I want you to know that I, I want to understand you and, and be able to support you and what you need. And um, today, this family, I'm the the mom and dad are now in their 60s and um, the, the wife, she was working in a school, but now she has retired from teaching and this is what she does pretty full time. And her husband, who has fetal alcohol, um, who's on the fetal alcohol spectrum, he often goes with her and talks about what it's like to live most of your life without recognizing why things were so difficult. And then to all of a sudden, there's like a reason, right? It's not because I'm this irresponsible, terrible person. Um, and, and then what that was like to understand that. And then just the whole healing and, and transformation that happened in this family. Now they're a united family. Is it easy? No, they would say that their dad, he's in his sixties, but he is a lot like living with an 18 year old in some ways. Um, but they understand what's behind those behaviors and they're actually able to kind of enjoy him and laugh and have fun instead of having these expectations that are totally out of the water, not realistic for him. Um, so that's just an example of the power that at any time during life, that we can understand somebody's behaviors. It really can, it can change their life and everybody's lives around them to really embrace who they are and love them and support them and heal relationships. Wow. What a story. Oh my goodness. That is such a story of healing and understanding and really the family getting a second chance to enjoy and, and, just learn about that dad's diagnosis and to support him. And oh my goodness, I'm just speechless. That is such an amazing story. And that, you know, his wife and he have done trainings where he has spoken. That is such an important resource and such an important perspective that we need to have in this journey. You know, I often say that we really need to hear from the most are the people that have an FASD or brain-based diagnosis because listening to them, listening to what they have gone through in their lives 
really will give us better tools and better resources to say, okay, this is how we can support you. This is how we're trying to change things systemically, as well as within our family, within our community, that kind of thing. That is such an amazing story, Suzanne. I love hearing that. With that in mind, let's talk about just, if you're listening to us talk about this and you suspect that a loved one who is in a an adult, or you have a child that you, you think has an FASD or has been, you know, has another brain-based diagnosis. Let's talk about the practical reasons why seeking a diagnosis even later in life are so important and helpful to that individual. Yeah. Well, just like in that story, it can be totally life transforming, right? From a person, no matter how old they are, right? I mean, this happens with children too, but the longer somebody goes in life themselves, getting the message that they're stupid, they're an idiot, they can't do whatever everybody's, you know, thinking they should be able to do. They're looked at as irresponsible and, you know, all these kind of things that, you know, it's normal, normal human kind of interpretation and assumptions when we can't see with our eyes a a disability, right? This, we're still not very good at this in society. Like even asking the question, Hmm, you know, what's going on here? So just even opening the possibility that what's going on with somebody, um, you know, teenagers, young adults, whatever stage in life, um, that I wonder if what I'm observing is brain-based. Like, does this person's brain have difficulty doing whatever it is, right? That we think they should be doing, being independent or having a full-time job or being, quote, a good parent or all these definitions, right? That we think that people should be doing at certain stages of life to even open the possibility that there's a reason behind just that they don't want to, or they're not trying hard enough or all these things that we easily assume is such a gift to the person, first of all, that they might be able to start to receive the support they need to actually be who they are, right? So um, in the case of that example of the family in Costa Rica, instead of Um, always assuming that this father should be able to hold a full-time job down and manage money and do all these things. They all of a sudden understand, you know what? It's pretty awesome. He's so good with his hands. He's a mechanic. And so um, he hooked up with his brother and he can't, he can't work full-time, but he can work for periods of time and um, bring some income in, but not depending on him to be the sole provider and then realizing somebody else in the family has to be in charge of the finances because he's, he just doesn't have that. So it's not that he doesn't want to, or he's trying to be irresponsible quote with money. Right. So um, it helps both the person really be free to be who they are and, and to be successful in who they are. And then it also helps the rest of the people around that person who are probably right? If it's later on in life, they might even be done with that person. Like I've had enough of this. And like, you know, Maria in that story, I mean, she hadn't actually divorced her husband. She was separated from him, but I mean, she didn't think she could ever live with him again. 
it, it totally changes our perspective, like on what's going on in this story. Um, what does this person need? Um, how can I support them? And so our own emotional um, world can shift, right? From a place of a lot of anger and irritation and frustration to a place, it's not that we're never going to feel those things still because we're human, right? But shifting more to a platform of compassion and curiosity and understanding and figuring out how we can support this person to be who they are. Um, so again, I would say it's it, it, it can change the whole world, and um, no matter how old a person is when we discover this. I wrote all of your responses down and I'm keeping this list. Not only will I post it when we release this episode, but I'm just going to keep this on hand because when we get emails and messages from folks saying that, I, you are perfectly saying what I'm thinking, but I just didn't know how to really verbalize it. So I'm so glad that you're saying this. And it's so true. I mean, you really, when you get that diagnosis, and especially when you learn the neurobehavioral approach, the brain-based approach to parenting, caregiving, being in a relationship, you are looking at that person through a lens of functioning at their best ability. And Again, we discussed this in our last Facets Friday episode with Melissa Ellingson about examining our values. This ties in very much with that topic because we really, especially with people who are adults, who are chronological adults, we need to remember that with a brain-based diagnosis, including FAST, that gap between chronological age and developmental age is big. And we need to let go of those values that we came in perceiving and, and saying, okay, this is how they can function. This is how we can best support them. So that is, again, I am so thankful that Maria was able to, to see that, recognize that, and then change her family and heal from that. So I just, and then accommodating, understanding that he couldn't work full-time. He, he was not able to, you know, handle um, the finances, that kind of thing. So again, this is, I'm just so, so thankful that you're, you're telling this story, Suzanne, because it really is one, honestly, it's one of hope. I really think that get somebody seeking a diagnosis for their loved one or for themselves later in life, it's, it's really redemption and hope you you can say, okay, I know that this is not me being a, a ter- quote unquote, terrible person. This is something my brain is not able to accomplish. So this is something that needs accommodation, just like a physical disability, just like, you know, any other type of, of diagnosis. Wow. Right. And an- another whole population much later on in life, usually that this, um, that the facets neural behavioral model applies to very well also are people that end up um, getting diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, They have many of the similar characteristics, right? That um, this model can be a beautiful way to also understand um, aging parents or other people in our in our community or family that um, are starting to have brain-based conditions um, later on in life. And I have seen this model 
be used in just the same way, a very healing, transforming, understanding, compassionate way to see what's going on. I love that. And many, many moons ago, long, long time ago in a land far, far away, I I was a music therapist and recreational therapist for individuals with dementia. And I, looking back at all those times, you know, working in nursing homes and, and nursing facilities, I can totally see the facets model being such a supportive way to support those you know, individuals with dementia or, you know, with brain-based um, organic diagnoses and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's like a total mind shift for me. Wow. And also again, talking with Melissa in last episode, she spoke about how her brother had sustained a traumatic brain injury. And again, mm-hmm. brain is brain. So whether your brain is impacted before birth by prenatal alcohol exposure, you know, or lived experience TBI mm-hmm or end of life, dementia, Alzheimer's, the facets model really applies to all of those scenarios, all of those situations and diagnoses. So I'm so glad you're mentioning this. So again, it is never too late to seek a diagnosis and it's never too late to get training and accommodations and learn about accommodations and being support. Oh my goodness. This, this is like such a feel good, hope filled facets Fridays. I love that. So how can, and and you come from lived experience and you come from professional experience, where should people look for resources to say, okay, I do suspect that my loved one has an FASD or has a brain-based diagnosis where should they start looking to to learn about where they can seek diagnoses? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And it probably will be different depending on where people live. But I have found that one of the most uh, helpful evaluations that kind of give us a really good perspective on where a person's brain is working well and where the difficulties are is finding somebody that can do a really good neuropsych evaluation. Um, That would probably be a good place to start. And even if the person doing that, like if, if the underlying issue is a fetal alcohol um, spectrum disorder, even if the person doesn't have that on their radar, you would still get a lot of really good information about what's difficult for the brain and what's not. So yeah, that's a, it's, it's, it's not an easy, there's no easy answer because sometimes it is hard to find, um, a really good place to be evaluated and figure out what's going on. But I would say that's a good place to start the neuropsych evaluation. I remember when we were first seeking a diagnosis for our son, that was the very first thing someone said in, in a support group was get a neuropsych evaluation. And it's important to know too, that getting a neuropsych evaluation as your loved one gets older is helpful too, because I know the neuropsych evaluation our son had at 15 looked much different than the one he had at 18. And it'll look much different, you know, when he gets one at 21, 22, 23, because we know the brain, especially in brain-based diagnoses, the brain is still developing and there are developmental leaps in there. So Mm -hmm. it's important. And the other thing I was told when we were told to go seek a, a neuropsych evaluation was make sure that they 
talk about adaptive functioning and executive functioning, which is huge. And I know that the neuropsych evaluation does look at those, which we know are hallmark primary characteristics of an FASD. So that is great. So now I want to give you, you have educated me so much. And I know our listeners too, Suzanne, and I love it. And folks, just to let you know, Suzanne's going to be back on the show because I really enjoy talking with her. So I'm just so thankful to be speaking with you today. Let's talk about, I want to give you a platform for Created to be Free, uh, the project that you started. What are some of the goals and supports that you hope to offer to the community through this project? Well, basically that project is a project that was created under um, an organization that I I still work for as well. Um, And um, it basically takes everything that FACETS is doing, um, which I am a program director for FACETS, and brings all of that material into um, faith-based communities um, where we, um, we look at all kinds of other issues that people in faith-based communities often have to sort through when we're, when we're looking at the neural behavioral model. So that, um, that particular project just happens to be kind of my own personal like satellite off of, um, what I'm doing in facets, but it's very similar. I still, um, Um, provide the same kind of trainings and one-on-one consultation, mostly with parents, sometimes with professionals, and then support groups for families that have somebody in their family that has a brain that works differently, whether that's fetal alcohol or a myriad of other conditions that, um, that can create what we, you know, that are on the neurodiversity kind of spectrum. So absolutely. What a wonderful project. What a wonderful project. Now, if folks want to get in touch with you to learn about how you can provide training or consultation or anything like that, again, I'm giving you a platform to share your information. How can folks get in touch with you um, just to learn more or to reach out to you and say, hey, Suzanne, um, I'm wondering if you could possibly help or where's your next training or anything like that? So definitely the facets um, webpage, right, which I'm sure Natalie is putting up with the podcast somehow, um, www.facets.org. A lot, I mean, all of the information that FACETS provides there, including trainings and um, consultations, and um, we call them the um, practice groups there. After people have gone through the webinars, they can become a part of a practice group to continue to apply the model to real life um, after that. And then people are are welcome. You can put Natalie, my my email that you've been using um, with this information and you're welcome to get in contact with me via email. Facets website would be a good place to start. And then Natalie can get my email out if anybody wants to communicate with me. Yes, I will share um, that information if anyone would like to reach Suzanne directly. That is wonderful. So Suzanne, I am so thankful to have met you. And I see this subject as a hope takeaway. I, I see our entire conversation, why it's important to get a diagnosis at any age, especially later in life. 
there is so much hope in there, especially for, for everybody, for the families, for loved ones, for teachers who, you know, are working with students who are older. I think a diagnosis is such an important tool in this journey because you can better understand that individual's brain and how to support them, how to accommodate, and again, how to heal too, because we know that unfortunately there is a lot of stigma and a lot of negative experiences that can lead to secondary and tertiary symptoms. So getting that diagnosis, no matter what age, really will truly help a family and a community. So I always end our episodes on a hope takeaway. And again, this entire conversation has been a hope takeaway, but what are some words of hope that you can provide to our listeners about seeking a diagnosis later in life and the hope in that journey? Yeah, I would say even whether it's an actual diagnosis or just being open to the question, when we see anybody in our lives, no matter how old they are, whether it's a family member, neighbor, community, um, that is maybe seems like a difficult person for us, or we have a hard time understanding to open the door to ask the question, hmm, I wonder if this person's brain has anything to do with what I'm observing. And just being open to that question can really change everything as we've seen um, through the examples I've talked about today um, and create this new place of healing and transformation and really being able to not just like see somebody as annoying or even just tolerating, but actually getting to the place of celebrating who that person is. And I tell my son and other family members who have brain-based, have brains that work differently, that they are some of the greatest gifts in my life because they continue to teach me and really I'm a better person because I have people in my life that have brains that work differently because I can't just stay in the status quo. I have, if I, if I want to have a good relationship with them, I need to continue to ask these questions and continue to go inward. Um, And so it's really a gift to us when we have people in our lives who sometimes feel very challenging. So I guess that's what I'd leave everybody with that thought. That is an amazing hope takeaway. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy to have this conversation with you, Natalie. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.